Impersonally Speaking. Chapter 2. To Balance Power. What you are about to read is the first chapter of an autobiography I began writing in my early 20s. I decided not to revise the text and I ask that you forgive its rough edges by receiving its authenticity. Reminder, take your time and please enjoy. This story begins with my earliest memory, lying down on the floor, being told to face the wall by my prostitute mother as she sexually indulged her client of the evening. I wasn't even three yet. Following in this timeline of memories, I see the same woman disciplining me by locking me in the closet now and again. Truly, outside of the time she revealed who my biological father was, watching his appearance on television, there was a time I had a potty accident on myself not making it in time to the bathroom, and she belted me demanding I pick it up and take it to the toilet. Now, I know what you may be thinking, but before I go any further, let me brief you. This isn't a tale of a guy with mommy issues that, under, that underline resentment toward women. No, not at all. These are just about the major, if not only, things I personally remember of my birth mother. To be honest, as far as I'm concerned, Patricia was a wise woman, and the best decision she ever made on my behalf was to give my dad full custody of me. She was barely getting by, and I was the son born after her first, before the third son whom is named Zion. He was named such being mistaken as the son of my father. Patricia meant well, and she did her best. And I know she had to have had a pretty pure heart for had she not. My dad wouldn't have had such a strong interest in her, and even to the point she was welcomed by my grandmother. Ama oft times tell me of when they even lived under the same roof as mother and daughter. I'm told by my grandmother stories of my mom being an amazing singer and a gymnastic tumbler. I recall being told many times of how much I resembled her when I was a child, and I know that she was a beautiful woman, but I don't remember her face in the slightest. Although she seemingly vanished after seemingly just giving me over to one of her baby daddies, my thoughts and feelings towards her are resentmentless. Now her mother, who I remember being called Pat Pat, didn't take too well to the idea of Zion getting full custody of me and figured it a brilliant idea to kidnap me before he could. Granted, and honestly speaking, at that age, I thought it was merely another visit to Granny's house. But she sparked quite the amber alert, and I do remember the police coming and putting us both in the back of the police car, then bringing us to the station, guiding her to a jail cell and me to a separate room. Now, this room is quite significant to me recalling this memory, and let me tell you why. To anyone's guess, it was a child's wonderland, for in this room was a long table covered with candy from corner to corner. To this, I distinctly recall grabbing a Snickers bar. Because at the time, the Bugs Life movie was to come out soon, if it hadn't already, and they had collaborated with Snickers in advertisement. I tell you, that Bugs Life feature treat was a step from heaven compared to what I was just coming from enduring with Pat Pat. Again, without bearing any resentment toward my granny, I can acknowledge how she beat me into ambidextrousness. I suspect, perhaps, perhaps, possibly in her defense, 
that maybe I was originally left-handed and she was raised with the left-hand taboo stigma and in teaching me how to write, she was determined to set me right. Bless her soul, though. I bet she too meant well, and if she didn't, my angel certainly did. My stepmother tells me of how I was able to use both of my hands equally when my dad got me, but we're not quite there yet. See, after having my first quick taste of heaven at a police station, it was my auntie Tanya who picked me up and I stayed with her for some time. I believe Tanya was one of Patricia's sisters because she was also whom my older half-brother Christopher lived with. It's unfortunate I can't bring up any pleasant memories higher than of some get-in-my-belly-looking-ass nigga who from time to time, if we were good, rewarded us with a fresh piece of toast. Looking forward to that piece of warm bread. <clears throat> Looking forward to that piece of warm bread was to me incentive enough for putting up with my older brother and cousin's unwarranted persecution. In drawing a clear enough illustration without drawing too much negative light on the behavior of adolescents, I'll simply state that it was a case of older siblings bullying the outcast younger. Admittedly, until my late teens, I held on to a slight resentment at the mere thought of Chris, but after overcoming so much long after and achieving enlightenment, of course, I bless his soul and wish peradventure we reunite one day in a brotherly embrace. Even Lil Zion, my younger half-brother, I have very little recollection of. I can, however, say that as a child, after living with my dad for a while, I did have pleasant memories of my younger brother and even dreamed of him somehow actually being adopted by the man he was named after. Truth is, as I sit writing this, I haven't seen or heard from either of them since the transfer of my custody. Dad never spoke a bad word of Patricia and always told me he'd let me in on some things when I was older. I wonder if he ever figured. I was perceivably aware of a lot at that age. Whatever the case, I of course still look forward to those talks. I can say he honestly tried searching for my mother and on several occasions. I even distinctly remember bumping into another one of Patricia's sisters in Lamarck Park with my dad and she even hadn't a clue of my mother's whereabouts and had been wondering. I was probably seven or eight when this happened and at 23, for all I know, my mother could be dead in another continent or could have even floated off into the next dimension. Considering the possibility of seeing her again was something I brushed off like it wasn't that big of a deal when I was younger. But now, I definitely would like to see a future with me and my biological mother uniting and knowing one another, be it in this life or the next. Looking back now, I'm sure that regardless of the content, these very circumstances helped define who I am today, and without these precious variables... I would have been significantly unprepared for what was to come next. Talk about a welcome back. Please, take a moment to breathe. This was not to tug at your sympathy for me, but to shine light on possibility. Now, how did that excerpt make you feel? Truth is... Life is a cosmic drama, folks. The following chapter to this autobiography I had titled Gun to the Head, in which 
I detailed the event of walking in on my father holding a pistol to his own head and the correlated life-changing events of my early childhood leading up to this moment. I opened up about the places around the world we traveled, as well as the experiences of living in a haunted house, my being circumcised in the third grade, and many other incredible events that sculpted my awareness of things that opened my young mind to the reality of possibility. This has been my point in sharing anything. To open people's minds to the mere possibility of things. People see or hear me and think they know my life. They see a young black man and hear my optimism and somehow convince themselves that I am naive of life's hardness. They feel I am so innocent that I'm somehow exempt from the darker shades of life. Such like approaches to thinking separates an individual from all things. This is important because yourself is made of all things. So I want to emphasize the need of consideration instead of assumptions. It's the consideration that will be your link between belief and awareness. Though nothing is new under the sun, the infinity of all existence is perpetuated by change. The atoms that compose of your body were a planet many eons ago. Things evolve through various circumstances, divine arrangements. So I'm saying I know we all individually experience life in unique ways, but many like to compare life traumas in competition. It's good to remember we are all connected in one life, one breath. I expressed to a friend of mine the other day that the lessons we receive in life were never ours alone. Every individual contributes to the collective consciousness. I ended my excerpt saying, talk about a welcome back. I indeed alluded to reincarnation. My life has been one that I've signed up for to help the human race receive and assimilate the inescapable reality intelligently underlining the universal as a whole. Remember when I said that this book would be some like everything you've read? I've met many who have felt like life is one-sided or like God is some half-assed creator. I can't help but to remind otherwise of the balance of reality. The title of this chapter was going to be the title of the autobiography. Because for whatever reason, my dad, after getting custody of me, gave me a Hebrew name of which was to mean to balance power. There were other chapters, though I decided to not go too deep in that direction to make my point, but rather to organically sprinkle this text with my most relevant transparencies. I would rather not bog your consciousness down with the timeline. Let the way I speak be to help free your consciousness from compartmentalization. Separation is the illusion. Earlier, I said we are connected in one breath. Now that your mind is open to the possibilities. In the next chapter, I will shed light on breath. After the excerpt from my bio, I ask that you take a moment to breathe. This was to help bring balance to your life force. It is natural for us all to engage with another in any way and feel something. 
be it pleasant or repulsive, we have the power in a single second to breathe, recalibrate, and stabilize ourselves from the electromagnetic shockwave. More on this coming up next chapter.